So, uh, to discuss some of the stories in this morning's papers, uh, we're joined by a panel of three very distinguished commentators. Uh, to my left uh, <laughs> uh, is uh, Kerry Mann, author and special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, uh, Michael Clifford. Uh, then we have uh, Boston-born uh, law lecturer at NUI Galway, Larry Donnelly. And we also have a Dublin girl, I believe. Yes. Uh, Fine Gael girl, former TD and Minister for Justice, uh, former Minister for Justice, uh, Nora Owen. Uh, good morning, morning to Harry, you morning. all. Um, I suppose I'll start with um, you, um, Mick, uh, just in relation to uh, this poll in the uh, Sunday Business Post, uh, which shows that Fine Gael's, um Support has gone up three points to 30%. Labour has dropped uh, two points to 30%. Labour has dropped three points to 7%. Uh, Fianna Fáil is up slightly. Sinn Féin is as you were. Oh, how do you read this poll? I suppose the thing is, Harry, as Pat Lee points out, there, there was no bounce because when the cumulative uh, changes for Fine Gael and Labour effectively amount to minus one. But when you look at the individual parties, Fine Gael are up 3%. Now, there's a certain bounce for their party there, which would suggest that they have effectively got the credit for the positive aspects of the budget. That's despite the fact that there was a lot of positive elements in the spending side of the budget, which was handled by Brendan Howland. But I think it comes back to a couple of things. First of all, the the, the most um, political friendly element of budgeting would seem to be actually putting money in people's pockets as opposed to improving services despite what people say in opinion polls and Fine Gael would have garnered the credit for that rather than Labour. Why Labour are down 3% I can't understand to the extent that there's nothing that I think that has happened in that period that would impact negatively on them but they certainly got no bounce from it. Well, one swallow does not a summer make, so you have to look at these opinion polls cumulatively. But the picture isn't uh, great uh, for for Labour. Um, Was Enda Kenny uh, incorrect, Nora Owen, in terms of his announcement on timing for the general election? It seems that all the signs are saying, God, if Fine Gael went now, uh, they might be close enough to to having an overall majority. I saw Adrian Cavanagh this morning saying, on this poll, uh, they'd come back with 63 seats. Well, if I have any influence with Enda, which I don't, I would say to him, as you're listening to this end of this morning please don't change your mind again <laughs> whatever you do leave it where it is spring it is and and he learned how to spell the word well he knew, always knew how to spell the word early and he spelt it out it would be early in the new year and not and not uh, this this side of Christmas um, I think uh, I think Mick is right I think there's an element in in any budget and then Michael Noonan has such a cachet when Michael makes a speech and and uh, and even though Brendan Howland had more of almost looked like the goodies in the budget it, it doesn't seem to have carried Labour over the line. There's been a lot of sort of kind of rumblings in Labour in recent weeks and I think that might affect people as well when they're asked at the poll. They kind of get a sense that they might be squabbling among themselves and I think there has been some squabbling. So that might have affected them. It still means that between them the two parties have 37% and that's not a bad uh, kind of level to be at now only three or four months before Mm. the election. So I wouldn't write off uh, you know Labour completely. I mean they'll obviously lose seats. Fine Gael will lose seats too and 
and, and I mean I've been as I say at that cutting edge before in 1987 when we went out of government uh, rather precipitately um, you know Fine Gael lost 23 seats and people kind of forget that that it was a huge loss we, they keep thinking of 2002 when we lost 21 mm. it was actually worse when we left government so leaving government is a very tricky thing the other thing about this poll again is the strength of the kind of mixture of independence mm. and the big thing about the independents, it's hard to say they'll all get the seats, but they're much more transfer friendly. Mm-hmm. So people could still be voting for Fine Gael one and two or even one, two and three if there are three candidates. But the next person will be an independent. And so that's where our proportional representation system really comes into its own because it's it's where the fifth seats will go that's, in a lot of that's instances. That's right, because if this were Canada or if this was Britain with the first past supposed system, Fine Gael and Labour would be looking at having a, a comfortable overall Absolutely, majority. Absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, with Fianna Fáil kind of coming, coming in. Yeah, but yeah. our, our very complicated uh, uh, multi-seat constituency uh, system means that there's a more proportionate uh, and which is why we have it because it is fairer because people who 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 want to be in 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 the parliament with with not a party tag have a better chance and there's no doubt about that that's why i think it's very hard to say which of the independents will win their seats okay well the independents are 27% and that kind of signifies a little bit of volatility which really hasn't uh, uh the coalition parties would have expected it uh, to have dampened down a little bit mm. at this stage the other big significant finding of the poll not so much significant in this one but if you look at the polls and last May, uh, Larry, is that uh, Sinn Féin seems to be on a downward trajectory at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you take the polls in the round, which I agree with you, Harry, I think we need to. Uh, I think that that's the kind of the steady trend that's out there. Um, and I think with, in the wake of the revelations this week, one of the things that's happened is that Sinn Féin's support has kind of been Teflon in the sense that no matter what comes out there, their support seems to be steady, at least in the polls. Uh, we'll see if that bears out after the most recent uh, instance. But um, it, yeah, I mean, I think that they're, they're on a down. And the other, the other issue, as always for Sinn Féin with respect to these polls, is the, the difference between what they're polling at and then what happens on election day because, uh, again, one of the things that history has shown is their voters uh, are among the least motivated and least likely to turn out. Uh, so Sinn Féin has a serious job of work to do. Okay, yeah. and just looking at um, Fianna Fáil, Mick, uh, they're creeping up a little bit at 20%. Has, has their period of Perda come to an end? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to be perpetually in Perda relative to where they were, Harry. Yeah, um, yeah they do. I mean, Look, one thing they have going for them, uh, Michal Martin, in terms of Dáil performance, is far and away the best leader there. Mm. Now, he also, quite obviously, is a man with baggage, that he was part of the cabinet that effectively ran the country into the ground. But I I think he has come to the fore, particularly in relation to Sinn Féin. He's also very good uh, when he's up against Kenny in that. And as well, you have to wonder, is there that between themselves and Sinn Féin is there a small bit of a float between the two of them that's veering more towards Fianna Fáil now I mean I think Larry's point about the opinion poll for a Sinn Féin versus the election is very valid and one area where they may be beginning to be affected is I think they were probably becoming more transfer friendly there was a time when it was either Sinn Féin or not but I think that's now Mm shifting back again as a result of a lot of the stuff that was um, If there weren't so many out. independents going to be running and uh, I mean anybody can run there used to be a, you used to have to pay a fee to run now you don't have yeah, to so yeah. literally somebody can get up in the morning and say do you know what I think I'll give it a go uh, and out they go and they sign into the, the, the yeah, local yeah, council yeah. The, other, the other point just sure about Sinn Féin in, in, you know, in the election to watch out for is they're going to be under serious pressure on, from the hard left in a lot of constituencies I think Paul Murphy's surprise election mm-hmm. uh, I think taught us that so that's another thing 
to watch. And in many ways, uh, some of that vote, again, we're talking about trying to to get people to vote who are alienated, et cetera. Some of the activism, some of the rowdy protests that we've seen around things like water charges may, may shift the balance in some working class areas towards those independent candidates from people who more uh, or all things otherwise would would be voting Sinn Féin for And preference. I think another issue that we yes, mustn't Nora. forget is what happens in the north. At the moment Sinn Féin are holding out against you know welfare cuts and all that but there's now a move to get the assembly working again and you know if Sinn Féin end up having to accept some of the cuts that will obviously have an effect on Sinn Féin down here. Yeah and just one, one thing Harry on the independence I mean um you know, when you look at independence and their rise, you can put it down to a number of reasons. But one thing, if you, to me, two of the best performers in the current doll are independents, Claire Daly and Catherine Murphy. And I mean, I think when you see people seeing the calibre of that, we used to have a scenario where independents were uh, a single issue candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, very often they were symbolic. They may not have any, had any great personal political attributes or whatever but I think that's been seen to be changed when you have people like that performing in the doll and uh, I think that's possibly making an impact on people's judgments as well Yeah, yeah. The, but the, the difficulty comes when you move from the realm of rhetoric to kind of power and Absolutely. this is the difficulty that a lot of the independents have we've had the formation of a couple of small parties yeah. plus this independent yeah. alliance and one of the interesting things in the finding this morning is that the Sunday Business Post broke down all the categories mm-hmm. and the smaller parties the Social Democrats uh, Renewa uh, um, AAA exactly they hardly uh, uh, had a blip on the Richter scale yeah. of the poll and the big block on the on the none of the above category was independence. The independent mm. brand is still very strong which signifies two things that, that people prefer to have people who are not aligned perhaps but also that there's a big block of floating mm. voters out there uh, who, who, who will come into play between now and springtime. Mm. Yeah, but and, Catherine and, and Murphy is one of those and they've formed that alliance with Stephen yeah. Donnelly. All three of them as individuals probably have a good chance sure. of yeah, being exactly. real. But did, did, and, uh, did, did, Larry said Paul Murphy Paul Murphy yeah. has a very good chance in Dublin South did, as well. did, 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 The other thing about that I think it also suggests that basically there is this enchantment as there is right across Europe with establishment politics but in this jurisdiction there doesn't seem to be any big block I mean for example as an example supposing Sinn Féin was uh, uh, in terms of its social policy and that didn't come from the history it came from somebody like that would be primed to have a Mm. massive election but that's why it's different Okay, that's a very good segue because we're going to talk about Sinn Féin now specifically because they have been at the front and centre of news and controversy uh, during the week Larry um, the the two reports one north and south there was a a key line in it that said that the Army Council still had overarching uh, control of both Sinn Féin and the IRA and the party has spent the rest of the week uh, trying to deflect uh, attention away from that view but it is damaging for them and that's reflected by the extent of the coverage in this morning's newspapers. Well we think it's damaging to them. Whether it's going to be damaging to them is another question uh, I think that they're in, they're definitely in denial mode. Owen O'Brien has a piece in the Sunday Business Post basically saying, a very kind of sarcastic piece mm. saying, oh I got up this morning and took my orders from the Army Council etc. Uh, I think it's deeply worrying, I think it's troubling in a democracy but uh, I think that the counterpoint to that I think is made by Owen O'Malley and Sarah, Sarah McInerney's piece today Day, uh, which is that their support typically doesn't engage with the mainstream media and that they're not watching these things as closely as we, as we do. Where I think it is an issue, I think, will be on the issue of transfers. Uh, they were becoming more transfer-friendly, I think, to people who, uh, I suppose, uh, again, the, this issue of respectability always surrounds Sinn Féin. Uh, I think this is dealt a real blow to that. So I think on transfer patterns is where this might be borne out. Mm. Okay, the the main story in the Sunday Times this morning is by John Mooney and he's essentially saying that the IRA 
uh, will have uh, this, the final say on who the next leader of Sinn yes, Féin will be. And yeah. they mentioned two names, Conor Murphy and Porrick McLaughlin. Now, Conor mm. Murphy would definitely be a contender. Porrick McLaughlin, I'm not quite sure. In we, my, in my view, I think Chris Doherty and Mary Lou MacDonald mm. still have to be in the frame. Yes, well, they're saying that Mary, Mary Lou wouldn't be really considered the right kind of leader because she doesn't have strong enough Republican. Now, do you analyse that and say because she wasn't actually in the middle of the killing and the shootings and the and the punishment beatings and all that sort of thing. She was actually down in Castle Knock and she was trying to join Fianna Fáil and that will be a black mark against her. Um, I mean, some of the stuff in the Sunday papers is very worrying. Michael McDool has a very strong uh, interview about... Um, when he was Minister for Justice and they were negotiating the decommissioning etc and he said that uh, Sinn Féin and the IRA have completely law- they've, they were very dishonest in what they've done because they didn't decommission and there was an interesting line that I took note of that Mitchell Reese, who most of us will have forgotten of his involvement mm-hmm. he was one of the US uh, envoys um, that Jerry Adams had approached him this is what he said and said could we keep sort of just a few little weapons in case the dissidents kind of rise up against us. In other words, he wanted to continue having some kind of a, a warring faction and, and, and an armed conflict going but like on the good side one could say and um, Michael McDool was uh, against it and they said the decommissioning was done so one assumes that Gerry Adams lost that opinion to keep them. It's quite clear there are weapons when we see what happened poor uh, Detective Golden and the, the young man that, that did that shooting. He had weapons not just the one he used. So there are people with weapons and you say Sinn Féin have been trying to answer these these reports in the last week. They stayed away from Daglan de Bardoon's book launch because there would have been lots of journalists there asking them. Ono Brin was, there, was but there. But he left before, uh, according to one article I saw, I did see him, but I didn't see him at the end. He seems to have left well, before. He was there, so that he was, was the there, most so important thing. So in fairness, thing. But, but the Lord Mayor was meant to be there and, and all the others, but they weren't there. No, I mean... There, there are still questions there. I, I just keep asking the question, why have something that you call the Army Council still in existence? I mean, at the very least, sensible voices should have said, let's at least rename it. Uh, you know, it's a bit like Sellafield and, 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 um, in, in, and in, Windscale. Rename yeah. it so it doesn't look like it's the same structure. In, in fairness to Sinn Féin, the, the seven-page report from the North said that the, the, the continued existence of the paramilitary structures in the aftermath of the Good Friday Agreement was necessary so that they would be able to bring everybody along. They needed to do it in a coordinated way, and if the system had, if the skeleton had collapsed, yes, essentially, yeah, then yeah. it wouldn't have happened. There's no doubt there would have been people who were very disappointed and angry that sure. Sinn Fein had entered into sure. the peace and, process. And, and, and we, they were we can't forget there's lots of uh, lots of the reports are positive, saying that that it's 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 not politics, geared towards uh, terrorism; it's geared towards uh, politics. Now the, uh, the Sunday Indo give three pages uh, to it today: articles <laughs> by Willie Keeley, Richard yeah. Edwards. <laughs> Uh, your successor Francis uh, Nora Francis Fitzgerald yes, yeah. etc there's an interesting piece by Tom McGurk though in the, in the Sunday Business Post in which he likens the situation at present to Fianna Fáil uh, going into the Dáil for the first time in 1927 when some of them brought in revolvers Did it? Uh, hidden uh, in their overcoats because they were they were unsure of, of the uh, situation just two questions I mean are, are people overreacted Mick to, to, to the, the findings of the report and secondly does it leave Sinn Féin with a real political problem that it is going to have to address well the, the second one for I mean, as was pointed out there, um, Larry mentioned Ono O'Malley, and I think he's spot on. Sinn Féin's core vote does not 
um, pay much attention to what the mainstream media is saying or other politicians. The other element to that to that is they've also garnered a particular vote during the last number of years where people who were so hammered by the recession, their disenchantment with the status quo is even greater than any notion perhaps north of the border, which let's face it, a lot of people down here consider to be a different country, any notion that there is still uh, rumblings of people in control up there who are basically in charge of guns and what have you. So you, you have that element of it. But in terms of Sinn Féin themselves defending it, I mean, I'd have a lot of respect for Owen O'Brien as a politician, but Owen is there today saying, let's be very clear, the IRA no longer exists. But Owen also says uh, he believes Jerry Adams was never in the IRA. <laughs> so how can we take seriously anything any Sinn Féin rep says about the IRA and its works? Uh, now, whether it'll damage it, as I say, I think that issue of transfers, that issue of they were advancing up into middle class vote, which there's a, a higher percentage of voters there and what have you. I think that's where it will affect them. But they're still going to have a very good election. Uh, another story that's dominated the headlines this week. Uh, it's a, a strange one because it's a sports story ostensibly, but it has uh, invited reaction from every politician in the country, including Antishuk and the Minister for Sport. And that's the news that uh, the very highly successful uh, head coach of the Irish Amateur Boxing Association, Billy Roach, uh, is on his way to the... U- Billy, 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 Billy Walsh, excuse me. Um, I'm mixing up my Wexford people, Wexford playwright Wexford versus Wexford. Two Wexford geniuses. Uh, Billy Walsh, he's on his way to the USA uh, to take up a position with the uh, Women's Boxing Association there, having fallen out spectacularly uh, with uh, his previous uh, employer. Uh, Mick Roach, uh, the story keeps on giving today in the papers... Uh, Mick Clifford, sorry. <laughs> I have had a couple of senior moments this morning. Yeah, don't worry, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, no, yeah. it does, it does. I mean, w- one interesting thing is Sean McGoldrick, who's very close to the story in the Sunday World, he seems to have got um, his hands on the type of terms that Billy Walsh is on in the USA, where he's earning a- around $200,000 plus various fringe benefits, considerable fringe benefits, and that itself could be dwarfed if he's put in charge of the men's programme as well, and he could be earning up over a number of years up to $1 million. Now, on the most basic term, that's at least twice what he was earning here. But what the whole thing seems to have turned into, Harry, and various journalists and various papers have been briefed by either side, is a he says, she says. In this broader sense, the IABA people are, seem to be coming out and saying it was about money. Uh, Billy Walsh's people are coming out and saying it was about an autonomy and control. Mm-hmm. And there was an excellent piece yesterday by Vincent Hogan in, in The Independent, but what seems to come across is... There's, and this would this would not be untypical in other organisations. There seems to have been resentment among the board or the management within the association of Billy Walsh's status, and that would be particularly exacerbated by the the positioning of the high performance unit, which is for the most elite boxers. And you'd have to suspect that when you strip it all back that that um, is ultimately what was there and it does not seem that the suits valued Billy Walsh's contribution to boxing as much as, for example, the boxers, other coaches and anybody else watching. OK, I'll get the names right. Billy Walsh and Michael Clifford. We move on to Larry Donnelly. <laughs> Larry, you were born in Boston. Uh, if you're born in Boston, you must have an interest in boxing. Uh, uh, what, what do you make of this story and what, what do you think are the ramifications? In in the end, I tend to agree with Mick's assessment of it. Uh, but I think John Green in the, in the 
the Sunday Independent, sums it up in one line. Uh, there is a lot about what happened last week that doesn't make sense. Uh, and I think that that's probably what we're all feeling. I think it's a, a real tragedy, I suppose, for Irish boxing to have lost Billy Walsh. I mean, a tremendous coach, a tremendous asset who's universally praised. Uh, and I think the one thing about this instance that make that leads me to conclude largely with what, what Mick said is in the Sunday Business Post today, there's a piece outlining that the IABA has form in this regard. Mm. That is, there are other previous people who've been involved with the association uh, who claim to have been treated very badly, uh, who left on very bad terms. And it's down to a lot of the issues that are there around resentment, uh, around wanting to share, wanting to get a piece of the wealth. All all these sorts of things seem to be at the heart of it. But I think at the end of the day, uh, it's a huge loss to our sport that that Billy Walsh is gone. Yeah. Uh, Eamon Sweeney has a similar kind of story in the Sunday Indo in which he he outlines that, you know, usually people fall into trouble when they've had failures here. They're making a mess out of when they've had successes. What's interesting about this is I think the way it emerged fully baked out into the public Mm -hmm. arena but apparently for years since uh, 2008 there was um, uh, the high performance unit had come into conflict the sterling performance at the 2008 Olympics where three medals were won. The winning of the medals seemed to have kept the story out of the public Mm -hmm. arena because everybody was just so thrilled to get the medals and it would look as if there have been a number of people. There's been conflict with the Sports Council and then John Tracy and Kieran Mulvey came out. And there's, I mean, it's fascinating radio and television coverage. But Billy Walsh, in the meantime, is gone. And, and now um, who's going to take over and will we? I mean, the boxers were always our, our great chance of getting gold medals in the Olympics. And if that's, that's lost over this row, it Billy Walsh is denying and saying vehemently it wasn't about the money. I'm sure with the offer he got from America, some element of money. It seems to be things like that he had to seek written permission written permission before speaking to the media and to submit team selections to the IABA's governing council to have them ratified. Now that seems a very very strong interference. That was disputed by the IABA and actually all of the things that were asserted by each side was disputed by the other. So it's very hard to kind of and Billy discover an American where the truth uh, mm. lies. I mean, the IABA came out, excuse the, 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 um, the, the, the pun, they came out swinging on Friday uh, with both Joe Crystal and Fergal Cruz issuing right. very strong statements mm. and making a series of media interviews in which they said they were mystified as to why they went, that the contract had been agreed and then he had walked away. Now, Billy Roach, uh, Billy Walsh, I keep on yeah. saying Billy Roach, <laughs> yeah. Billy Walsh came out with a, a replying statement yesterday uh, in which he said there were at least 60 uh, things that were identified yeah. in the contract with which he had difficulty. Do you feel another tribunal coming on? Absolutely. <laughs> but the, the, one, the one thing Harry, Khan uh, is, is what, what comes to my mind a little. Uh, yeah, but it, it, it is very much. But uh, the one thing you have to say, I mean, if you have those both sides, you also have the Irish Sports Council and I think there's no doubt, we've been left with no doubt on whose side yeah. Kieran Mulvey and uh, John Tracy have come down on and both of them were close to the negotiations. Now, Kieran Mulvey may have overreacted by suggesting funding would be withdrawn but in general terms for somebody who has negotiated so much industrial relations and who was so unflappable when he mm. was on prime time yes. the other night the man was clearly angry at what had developed and it's quite obvious where he felt the, the blame lied and equally John Tracy history, too. they have history yeah, with yeah, the yeah, IABA yeah. Yeah, there's, there's an old fashioned personality clash and there is a, as Mick and Larry and Nora were saying there does seem to be a debate about control and about governance as well 
Going from one story about pugilism to political pugilism next, and that's in the figure of Alan Kelly, the Minister for the Environment. Uh, the front sto- page story on the Sunday Independent this morning is Central Bank has wrecked house market for all buyers. It's an interview he's given to Daniel McConnell, and he uh, is essentially saying that that, 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 that 20% deposit, Nora, uh, that uh, uh, the central bank has introduced has essentially uh, dampened uh, the housing market in Dublin uh, to a detrimental extent. What well, do you make of all well, this? Well, let's think about why the central bank would have made that recommendation. A period arose where young couples looking to buy houses didn't have to have any money and if they had any money saved the banks were saying don't worry keep that for a new car or keep it for some bit of furniture or something we'll give you 100% and in some instances 110% of a loan and that's what led to some of the horrors now that exist in people's lives where they're way out over their heads in debt because they can't repay these huge enormous loans so I don't understand why Alan Kelly is not recognising that there is a need for people buying houses to have some money already put by. This is an extraordinary interview. This is apparently his first big interview that he's done in The Independent with, I think it's Daniel McConnell. Mm. It is Daniel McConnell. And, um, you know, he's saying he was handed a a real hospital pass. I'd say his hands were out all right to collect the hospital (laughs) pass because from what I, I don't know him very well personally, but he was, he he really wanted to be in there. He'd gone as He's kind of blaming Phil Hogan for a lot of things. And Nora, (laughs) Nora Owen just happens to be a former colleague of Phil Hogan but that doesn't colour your view at all No no I wouldn't Mm. praise Phil Hogan for what he did either I think Phil wanted to show that he could get the water charges into place but he did leave the thing half hanging there in a a terrible mess and so Alan Kelly is right when he says he had to kind of pick up the pieces He, he himself is a strange character I mean he he could be put into the IABA and, and sort that out because I think he has to have a pair of gloves on him a lot of the time when he's talking to <laughs> he, colleagues. That's, that is his nature. Larry, I mean, clearly there is a, a um, housing shortage at the moment. Demand clearly uh, exceeds uh, supply. We're also being very mindful that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past and create uh, another uh, housing bubble. Uh, what do you make of, of this intervention and do you think that there's any merit to it? I'm torn to be quite frank because I, I, Nora's point is well made uh, about the fact that this the, the requirement that's been instituted is uh, in many ways to stop prices from going you know through the roof again. At the same time, it's a very blunt instrument, and I can think of a lot of couples who are in very difficult circumstances who would be who, who wouldn't renege on their mortgage payments, who have the ability to pay mortgages but don't have the twenty percent. Uh, and my heart goes out to them because it's a very very difficult situation to be in. Uh, my big bugbear and has been for a long time uh, is that this country has always been. Dublin-centric. And if anything, it's getting even more Dublin-centric. If we look at housing prices in other parts of the country, uh, we really see that we're becoming two countries, Dublin and the rest of the country. Uh, and it's a shame. And it's one of the reasons why uh, I think the IDA and other groups uh, are well advised to, to in, encourage multinationals and startups, etc., uh, to form a base outside of Dublin, because you shouldn't have to be based yourself in Dublin uh, to have a career. Okay. Mick, um, are there is Alan Kelly's view is it an orthodox view is it is it an acceptable view or are there people it's, who are kind of raging against it well you see it's, it's, a, it's a political view and, and, and that's where he's coming from and it's interesting like we had no regulation here Mm. Uh, and that led to a disaster. Now, you might recall Matthew Elderfield, when he came in and he moved against Quinn Insurance, there was a number of politicians, nobody from the Cabinet, notably, but opposition and backbench politicians were jumping up and down saying, how dare he? But the point about it being was, this is regulation. This is what must be done. And there's good reason for this to be in there. And it will be very interesting to see how Philip Lane 
the new uh, governor of the central bank reacts because Patrick Honahan held his ground. Uh, but I mean, I agree with Larry. There are people, particularly in Dublin, and it is very onerous. There's no question about it. But the alternative is go the way we went before, and that leads mm. to disaster. Um, Another uh, story, um, and it's it's a terrible tragedy uh, that has um, been at the forefront of people's minds for the past two weeks, has been that terrible tragedy in Carrick Mines uh, where 10 people lost their lives, all of whom were members of the uh, travelling community. But uh, that was uh, superseded by a, a big and um, distasteful controversy uh, in relation to trying to find alternative uh, accommodation for them. And they ended up um, been uh, put uh, in a, a car park without the necessary uh, facility but it brought up all kinds of issues about Irish society and the uh, the, the, the rights of travellers and the responsibilities of travellers, the rights of the settled community and the responsibility of, of the settled uh, community. Uh, one of the most uh, provocative uh, common pieces today is in the Sunday Times written by Brenda Power. Uh, she is arguing that uh, the culture argument does not mitigate the Carrick Mines disgrace and she's essentially arguing uh, that travellers uh, need to become settled essentially is her net point and she makes some very uh, um, provocative and uh, cogent arguments through the course of it. Larry, what's your reaction to the controversy and perhaps your reaction to the Brenda Power piece? Well, for, I, I think first off the, the horrible tragedy that happened I think we all need to think about it and the, the scenes of those funerals this week was very, very moving. Uh, I, I think uh, in terms of the, the bigger issues that this, I suppose, has precipitated a discussion on, uh, I think that the, the, some facts need to be stated. I mean, the, the first thing, that there, there are issues in the travelling community. There's no doubt about that. They need to be settled, and I think a grown-up discussion needs to be had about those. But what deeply troubles me and what makes me think that the traveller issue is the last most difficult nut to crack in terms of equality is some of the statements that come out where uh, the whole of the community is branded because of the actions of a few. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I find objectionable uh, in Brenda Power's piece is her, her last, uh, the way she signs off in the piece, uh, is about some work that was done uh, at her house by travelers. Uh, and again, it's a very, and the work was not done properly. Uh, and she says, look, that's uh, just like the residents in, uh, in this estate. Uh, you know, it's, it's my experience. You know, it's not, uh, it's not bigotry. It's experience. I, I find that troubling uh, in its implication. Um, but uh, I, so I think that that's representative of the the broader issue that's there. And I, I suppose as an outsider, uh, you know, somebody who moved to Ireland 14 years ago now, uh, it is one of the things that has struck me in the attitude of people towards the traveling commu- community. Um, Shocking! I'll just give one very quick story that, that encapsulates it. Uh, I was in North Galway at my cousin's one time, uh, and I was talking to a, to a man uh, who li- literally lectured me for a good while about how America treats the blacks, as he was saying to me, uh, and lecturing me with a lot of vitriol about about it. Uh, and then thereafter, uh, in the context of what had happened in Mayo, where the traveler was shot, he literally said that the only thing wrong with that farmer was he couldn't shoot properly. And again, it it demonstrates, uh, I think, some of the attitudes. That that are there, uh, and it's shocking, it's deeply worrying, it's the last nut and most difficult nut uh, to crack. We had an equa- a referendum on marriage equality, thankfully that seems to have been cracked, but the traveller issue is the most difficult one. Uh, 
Noreen as a former Finnegal politician, as a former Minister for Justice, yeah. this is an issue that's come across your table during the course of your political career. What yes. what do you make of, of all this and what are your thoughts well, on it? I mean the 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 danger in the tragedy of what happened in Carrick Mines is that you then have you nearly polarise people on both sides of the argument. There was huge outpouring of sympathy settled people all over the country and all around the Carrick's Mines area. I know my own sister lives out there and she was down making sandwiches and helping uh, in the traveller centre for the travellers um, for helping after the, the terrible tragedy. But there's no point in pretending that it isn't a very difficult issue among, say, the elected councillors and among the politicians because the minute a council announces a travelling site or a programme, um, the objections begin to come in and particularly if it's anywhere near an election, it becomes a real political issue for people to say, well, I'm not in favour of it and I am in favour of it and it's hard to hold the line on it. Um, wonderful people like Martin Collins and that from the travelling community have done great things to remind people that they are aware of the horrors that some of their community um, carry out around the country and what happened down in Tipperary is mentioned in Brenda Parr's story. But the problem is that it just it's polarising. There are nearly 50-50 who'll say a blight on all their houses. I don't want them next nor near me. And then there are other kind, gentle people who will say look, they have to be set, they have to be settled. The worry I have is that over the years, the argument about not living in a settled community when you want your children to go to school and everything is still a debate that I think the travellers have to have. If they want to live in the camps, in the sites with the caravans and that... They have to recognise equally that the rules that apply to the settled people who can't leave broken down cars or old televisions or old uh, strewn around the front of their house, not in their garden, but out in the front, that they would be prosecuted. Look at the elderly lady who was prosecuted recently by the City Council for having a dish in front of her house. You will have people saying, well, my God, the council should be going down to that traveller's site and prosecuting those people for the rubbish that's outside it. So you have to find the balance between making sure that the travellers recognise they have to live side by side by the settled community in the same way as the settled community has to recognise that these are Irish citizens entitled to the, the, the laws of the land and entitled to the rights of the land. OK, that's a fair point, isn't it, Mick? I mean, there has been a lot of of um, criticism um, by commentators about nimbyism, not in my backyard, that syndrome. Uh, but also, on the other hand, um, there has been a lot of the residents uh, who have been quoted have been talking about uh, the the lack of of social responsibility by by some travellers. There's a woman that was quoted in Carla Bryant's piece in the Irish Times yesterday, which said speeding, stolen cars, crash cars, donuts out the back. Uh, car donuts out of the back of the halting side at night, drinking dogs, kids on the road, fridges and TVs left on the road. Now that is an assertion that isn't backed up no, by, by any evidence yeah. but that, I mean I, I presume that in some halting sites there are difficulties uh, with the, the, the social aspect of it. Uh, also uh, in relation to, to crime there was a, a meeting in Turles uh, earlier this month and uh, they, the lot of the speech, a lot of it was unreportable because of the, the tragic well, nature of it was, was talking about traveller gangs, traveller gangs roaming the country side. Again, completely over the top and unrepresentative but it does reflect a view out there, does it not? Just in, initially that meeting in Tipperary and I think it was obliquely referred to by Brenda Power, mm. uh, that was projected as a traveller gang. Three of the seven individuals came from mm. a, a traveller background. Mm. So that's just an example of how these things get out of proportion. Look, there are issues, Harry, and those issues you spoke about, they're ongoing. There was a big difference here. 
this family was bereaved in the most horrendous circumstances. Anybody cast their mind back to another horrendous tragedy, the one in Berkeley in uh, Mm. California? How did the country react then compared to how they reacted here once the issue about rehousing those who watched their closest relatives die uh, became an issue? And I mean, I think that's the, the kernel of it. And the broader thing, of course there are issues between the travellers and the settled community and of course there are issues around some of the traveller mores. But just to give you one example, last year it emerged that some traveller children, children as young as six and seven years of age, their details were inserted into the Garda Pulse system uh, on a number of occasions. Now, this is with a view to profiling them as possible future criminals. Can you imagine if in an area of Dublin or Cork or Galway, people were put in, inputted into that system purely on the basis of where they were from. First of all, how the local politicians would react to such a thing, not to mind the community. Can you imagine, for example, supposing the past pupils of a top fee-paying school were inserted on the basis that they may uh, grow up to be involved in desperate white-collar crime like a lot of people mm. have? Yeah. Can you imagine the reaction then? Yet there was not a peep out of anywhere that it was possible to stain children like that simply on the basis they were coming from the traveller community. I think that speaks volumes for an attitude towards the travellers that goes way beyond anything individuals within that community may be responsible for. Just one point struck me, having been a council member for years in Dublin County Council, I just wondered why Dunleary County Council, if there's any evidence that those complaints were coming into them that you mentioned about Carla Bryan's article, um, and they had the site that they're now going to put. They say there isn't drainage on it. But in the in the the last few weeks, they could have provided um, services there, maybe, and prevented the kind of impasse that arose uh, with with the, the the people in Rockville. I I would hate to be a resident there now because whatever they do, whether they were on the side of them or against them, they're going to be blackened by by some of their neighbours in the in the region. But the council themselves are quite slow at times to make provisions in a way that are livable in. Um, they, they might provide the water, maybe the electricity isn't properly done. You know, things like the services like water, electricity and hard stands. They, the they, field they were going to put... There was an emergency in order to be fair. was an emergency, But how has this other site now emerged, as it were, and is not be, be, quite well, because the housing situation had was become so bad, critical yeah. and they just yes, needed yeah. to find somewhere for them to but stay. maybe the whole thing could have been handled a little bit more sensitively for, for both the people who had suffered hugely at the fire and for the people whose field at the back of their cul-de-sac was still a field and they were going to have to put in hardcore. So you had to weigh up was a hardcore site missing some of the facilities, not maybe a better deal to start. But it's been sorted now and they will be put in there, but only for a few months. OK, and it mustn't be forgotten that the Carrick Mine site was a temporary site. It wasn't a permanent um, But it was seven years haunting there. Haunting site. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, Laurie, just in relation to what can be done, I mean, if you were, I mean, what Brenda Power is suggesting in, 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 in her piece this morning is that travellers should stop the nomadic, nomadic uh, lifestyle. Uh, that they should settle into houses like everybody else and they should forget this uh, um, pretense uh, that they are somehow a separate ethnic group. And this is an argument that she has uh, pursued over the years. Is there any merit in it? Well, I'll get to what I think there's merit in in a minute. But I I don't think that that they are different. Travellers are different. They are a different group. They do have different mores. They do have their lifestyle is long established. This is they they didn't just create themselves recently. This is they've been around for a long time. Um, 
But what what I do think is that, uh, and again, this is why when I said there are issues in the traveling community, there certainly are. And I think that there have have to be discussions around things like education uh, and making sure that more travelers go on to third-level education. Some have, but I think the numbers uh, really need to improve. Uh, And I think some leadership needs to be shown within the community on all of these issues. Uh, And I know that there are some some things, good things happening at the moment. That's really, at the end of the day, that's what what will change a lot of this, uh, I think, is education is a big part of it. Okay, um, Mick, just in terms of um, the um, halting site situation in in general, I mean, it's not just a problem that's confined to uh, South uh, Dublin. No, it's a difficult issue, yeah. There's a very interesting piece in the Sunday Business Post uh, today by Colin Murphy saying, listing all the kind of disputes that have happened going right back to Rahoon in Galway City in the 1960s. So this has been a problem in Irish society for half a century. Absolutely. And, I mean, is it something that we'll be coming back to in 20 years' time and talking about again? Un- unfortunately so. I mean, you know, th- th- there is an issue, I think, around leadership. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not an issue that will ever garner votes for a politician unless that politician is coming down on the side of ensuring the travellers are not housed in some locale. But it is an issue whereby there are some things that should not be done simply for votes, but in terms of what is right and striving towards equality. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been really, really lacking in any and leadership Alan, And Alan Kelly that we talked about earlier needs to make sure that the funding is there when this audit is finished and done of the sites around the country that there is money there to correct the problems because we may have another disaster like this again if, you know, the electricity, the water, you know, all that, the drainage, all is sorted out. Okay, and uh, finally in this section we're going to turn to uh, another uh, article um, that's appeared in all of the newspapers this morning and it's the sad death of Maureen O'Hara who who has died at the age of uh, 95. Uh, The word iconic is um, overused and uh, cliched but uh, she was a national icon both here and in the States as well, Laurie Donnelly. Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a wonderful actress, a, a very beautiful woman. I, I hadn't seen pictures of her when she was young, but a very, very beautiful woman. Great actress. Uh, and I have to say, maybe this shows my bad taste in movies, but uh, my favorite movie of hers was uh, her last one, Only the Lonely, with, uh, with the late John Candy, where she played uh, an, Ir- an Irish-American mother uh, who was sort of resembled in many ways a lot of my friends' mothers growing up. <laughs> uh, and I think it, w- it was a wonderful movie. I Another think great pro- actor who's no longer with us, uh, John Candy. John Candy well, would, yeah. it, it probably got panned by all the critics, but I loved it yes yeah. no role I mean she's most yeah. famous for of course the, the quiet, the quiet man, man with John yes, Wayne yeah and, and, and I go down to Connemara a lot and we pass the the, um, the site of the quiet man and the little bridge and very often you're stop, you know if you're out out of the car somebody will stop and say could you tell me where the quiet man is and there all sorts of things it's it's that wonderful scene where she's feisty and John mm. Wayne is trying to have his way with her and what have you and she's she slaps him across the face and you know it it she just is iconic and um my late aunt Nora Mahoney would have known her as well in in her days when she was in Hollywood and that and uh, she was godmother in Wanderley Wagon Harry you probably remember <laughs> <you're> young enough <laughs> and, I do remember I'm old enough and, to remember and, um, you know, she 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 gave a great image to Irish actress actress abroad. She was seen as the archetypal Irish Colleen, but she was actually born Maureen Fitzsimons, Mick, and she was brought up in Ranelagh in Ranelagh, yeah. Dublin. I'm actually, six. I have to say, Harry, I, I know more about um, Nora's a relative in Wanderley Wagon <laughs> than I do about Maureen O'Hara from my childhood. But yeah, she was, she was um, definitely, she was somebody who was iconic, as you say, both here and in the States.
she got good innings too in fairness to her 95 and she was in relatively good health she right did, up to the yeah. end so. and then John Wayne was such a wooden kind of an actor yeah. too wasn't oh, he that she actor. stood out yeah. <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> um, and uh, they, they actually she, she Technicolor was kind of in a way the making of her because suddenly with her flaming red hair and those blue eyes she was known as the kind of the, 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 the queen of, of Technicolor she made 60 films in all we remember The Quiet Man but she was involved in some other uh, big budget Hollywood films and had a very long career yeah. uh, that, that extended right into her 1980s. Well, I mean, if you got into the, the scene in America, uh, you know, and they needed an Irish actress, mm. they got it. Now, I heard some complaints. They were reviewing Brooklyn the other day and there was some kind of That's arguments right, yeah. as to why there were so few <laughs> Irish actors. And yet at the same time, some of our Irish actors abroad, uh, Colin Farrell and people like mm. and Brendan Gleeson and all the... And Saoirse Ronan, who stars in Brooklyn, Ronan, of course. Yeah. Michael you know, Fassbender. And Michael Fa- I mean, we have a wonderful list and Liam Neeson and, 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 and uh, your man who played uh, Bond and all, uh, Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan, uh, Pierce yeah. Brosnan. We have a great uh, set of iconic actors. And a great set of actors uh, sitting around this table as well. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for your contributions this morning. My thanks to Mick Clifford of the Irish Examiner, former Fine Gael TD Nora Owen and law lecturer at NUI Galway, Larry Donnelly.